Hi, Transit Unplugged listeners. It's Gary Rosenfeld, CEO of the Memphis Area Transit Authority. Wanted to let you know that I'll be part of a CEO roundtable moderated by Paul at the Think Transit Conference in Nashville in June. I'll be sharing my career journey, trends that I have my eyes on, exciting things that are happening at our agency, and much, much more. You can find more information at trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit. Hope to see you at the conference in June. I'm Paul Comfort. Welcome to a special edition of Transit Unplugged with our first female CEO, Carolyn Flowers, former CEO of Charlotte Area Transit, COO of LA Metro, and acting administrator of the Federal Transit Administration at the end of the Obama administration. Carolyn has a great perspective on things. And on today's show, we take an unusually in-depth look at the FTA, the Federal Transit Administration. She talks about the role and the structure of the FTA, explains the evaluation process FTA uses to award competitive grants, and talks about their new role in safety oversight and helping transit asset management at all of the transit systems across the country. It's one of the most interesting interviews I've conducted yet. She also provides some advice to women in the transit industry. You're going to really enjoy this episode of Transit Unplugged with industry legend, Carolyn Flowers. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged, and today we're excited to have with us Carolyn Flowers, the former administrator of the Federal Transit Administration, has a long and varied career in the transit industry. We're going to talk today about some of her experiences along the way as a CEO of a transit system, uh, working in the trenches of transit, so to speak, making things happen in L.A., and uh, what she's doing now some. So, Carolyn, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, great to have you on the program. So, um, Carolyn, we'd like to get started sometimes uh, with our guests uh, Former, most, of, most of the folks we interview are CEOs or former CEOs, and talk about your career. How did you get into transit? Um, people want to know, you know, what's a career path to get to be a CEO? And, and every, it's funny, everybody has a different one. I was talking to a guy earlier today who started out at an MPO, uh, and then other people, you know, like Nat, when I interviewed Nat the other day, he started out, you know, in the subways of New York City. How, how did you start your career? I started out my career trying to sell a document imaging system into uh, Los Angeles. Um, it wasn't the MTA at that time. Okay. Uh, a merger was going on between the planning and the operations side. And so I was trying to sell a document imaging system and the company that I was working for went bankrupt. Huh. And I came back and said, I'm sorry, I can't sell you this system. I need to sell myself. I want a job. Wow. <laughs> That's great. And, and so, so what did they hire you to do? Uh, I actually started out in the um, civil rights group, you know, doing doing um, outreach okay. uh, to businesses uh, so that they could actually have an opportunity to contract with, uh, with the MTA, LA Metro at that right. time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, we just had Phil Washington recently uh, on the program. He talked about his career there and what he's doing now. Boy, L.A. Metro has really become phenomenal, yeah. man. Wow. Yeah. So then what did you do from there? So I was at L.A. Metro for about 16 years. Um, I have an MBA in finance and marketing, and so uh, I had a background in budgeting. And so I 
eventually ended up as the um, deputy executive officer of finance and um, you know for a number of years was responsible for the budget at LA Metro wow. um, but you know doing um, doing my career I did do a year supporting bus operations and so I became like an advocate inside of the budget department for operations. So, um, Boy, I bet you they love that because <laughs> operations always wants more money. So, right. yeah. And they want someone who understands why they need the money. That's right. Um, but, uh, I also, you know, moved out of budget and became the CAO and uh, I was working at, you know, with HR and real estate and okay. IT. Um, but I went over, at the time it was Roger Snowball and John Cato. Oh, John, my buddy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, John was a deputy. I went over and said, I'd like to work for you, and I ended up uh, becoming the executive officer of operations administration, you know, having responsibility for the budget, service planning, uh, security, eventually uh, took on the safety area. And uh, so I was in that position, uh, supporting operations, which eventually led me to get a promotion. After John Cato left, uh, Roger Snowball promoted me to uh, chief operations officer. And so I had the responsibility for bus operations. Wow. COO of uh, LA Metro. And, and how big was it at the time? Uh, there were 2,600 buses. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. That is something. So how long did you stay there, and then what did you do from there? I stayed in that position about two and a half years, and then I left and went to Charlotte uh, to become the CEO of Charlotte Area Transit System. Yeah, my buddy John Lewis is there now, who came yeah. from the MTA in Baltimore, yeah. where, I, where I'm from. So uh, tell me about that. What were some of the big things you did there in Charlotte? And Well, when I first got there, um, Charlotte faced a... Um, probably a budget crisis. Uh, it was right after the uh, stock market uh, downturn. Oh, right. And uh, the plan that they had was predicated on, on double-digit growth uh, from the sales taxes that they were getting. So they, there was a 2030 plan to build out five new um, transit lines. And the first segment had opened and we were facing a crisis of how to fund the next segment. Mm. And so um, had to come in, um, get the budget basically in line, and then go back to the public and say, we don't have uh, significant funds or sufficient funds to actually deliver the next four lines. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, we were able to go back to the FTA, uh, do a modification on the line that we had in that process and be able to, you know, cut the last two miles off of it so that we could afford it. And it's the blue line extension that will be opening on March 16th. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and then also... Are they going to have you back for the uh, <laughs> yeah, ribbon cutting? Yeah, I'm going to go back. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And then also mm. um, uh, the city um, actually stepped in for funding to support the streetcar project. Mm -hmm. And so now the second extension of the streetcar is being built. So uh, at Charlotte, you had a board of directors that you worked with there and all that, or? Uh, no, <clears throat> Charlotte was uh, a very interesting uh, governance structure because okay. um, the the department, uh, the, the, the Charlotte area transit system was considered a department of the city of Charlotte. However, because of the sales tax initiative, there was a um, 
Metropolitan Transit Commission okay. that was comprised of the mayors of all the towns in the in in the, the county area. Okay, yeah, yeah, in the county, uh -huh. and so they were the governance body for policy. Uh, so they made all the decisions about fare. Oh. Uh, you know, we took our budget to them initially. Right. But it was kind of like a, an a appropriator versus, um, you know, an authorizer. So they were like more like the authorizer. Okay. And the city of Charlotte had to get the budget approved to actually spend the dollars. And all of our procurements had to be approved by the city of Charlotte. And I had a dual um, reporting relationship between this Metropolitan Transit Council and uh, and the city of Charlotte. The classic two bosses scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, though, if you can play that right, uh, you can kind of help move things along better in that role. Yeah, I actually I was I was very uh, I think lucky when I first got there that. Uh, Anthony Fox was the mayor of Charlotte, right. <laughs> and uh, and he had a great interest uh, in transit, and uh, you know gave us a lot of support. That's wonderful. And so you were there for how how long in Charlotte? Five years. Five years. That's mm -hmm. a long time. And then what'd you do from there? Uh, that's when I went to Washington D.C. Yeah. to work for the Federal Transit Administration. What was that first job you had there at the FTA? I was the uh, a special assistant to uh, the administrator. And so you went with Anthony when he went to Washington? No. Oh, okay. He was there probably a year and a half before I went to Washington. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. And so what kind of stuff did you do in that job? Um, so I was supporting Teresa uh, McMillan, who right. was the acting administrator at that I remember time. remember her. Yeah, she yeah. was great. Yeah. So I ended up um, uh, having, having had the operations background. Teresa used me a lot to go to... Um, properties that had some issues or uh, some uh, challenges. Um, I visited Detroit, uh, Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and tried to help them kind of get turned mm -hmm. around? Yeah. Oh, it, that's great. Yeah, the Atlanta streetcar. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then you ended up becoming the, the acting administrator. Right. <laughs> so was that when she left or? Yes, after she left. Uh, I became the acting administrator, and our big challenge at that time was the uh, safety oversight of uh, Washington Metro. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. What a job. Paul's still working with that one. I've actually interviewed him in a week or two. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, great, so, great guy. I yeah. admire him. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Got probably one of the toughest jobs in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. you know. Probably uh, in the nation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, wow, that's amazing. So your story is, is really wonderful that you were able to kind of... You're the, you rose to the ranks and became the top position in our industry. That's amazing. What advice would you have for women in our industry? I mean, we're here today. You and I are at a, um, an APTA business board of governors meeting. And, you know, I don't think it's wrong to say, but I look around. It's mostly men. And, uh, and so tell us about what, what, what kind of advice would you give to women who want to move up in our transit industry? Well, I think one of the things that uh, women need to ensure is that they avail themselves of mentors. Okay. in the industry um, and also uh, networking. I think those are key. You know, I had, um, I came through the ACTA leadership program, oh, yeah. which uh, offered a great opportunity to, you know, learn about the industry, network in the industry and, uh, and get information. And uh, also um, I came through the Eno uh, executive development program okay. and learned a lot from, uh, you know, like Barb, Barbara Gannon and Bob Prince, and uh, and I think I learned some key things there in terms of 
of um, relationships, um, you know, having contacts in the industry and having mentors. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I had an opportunity to have several mentors, you know, that helped me um, be guided through my career here mm-hmm. uh, in the industry. And I think that was something that was significant. And also being involved in Women's Transportation Seminar, WTS. Okay, yes, that's a yeah. good one, yeah. So, so those, um, you know, just being, you know, out there in the industry, uh, having other women, but also having men um, you know, to help you and guide you and to advise you. Well, I mean, you're a good example of the fact that when you apply yourself and you make the right <laughs> connections, you can make it to the very top. My friend Jane Williams is kind of in a similar role mm-hmm. that you were in now. She's mm-hmm. the acting administrator there as well. She worked with me at MDOT. So um, you were there uh, till the end of the Obama administration? Yes. Is that right? And then what'd you do after that? Okay, I took a I took a nice vacation, two months off. <laughs> there you go. That's nice. You need that every now and then <laughs> right. in your career, yeah. Uh, I spent time with my mother. <laughs> okay. And then uh, I started to work for AECOM last March. <laughs> and what do you do with them? This is the market sector leader mm-hmm. um, for the Americas, a transit market sector leader for the Americas. And so um, responsible for uh, business development, client relationships, and uh, in the major pursuits and sales uh, for our transit uh, line of the business. So uh, here at the uh, APTA business side of the house, where I'm new too to this side of the house, uh, there's a lot of engineering companies. And I think that folks who aren't involved in that side of the industry, if you're not involved in the construction, the capital development side, you may not even be aware of what these big engineering companies do. Talk from a broad perspective, um, what role does these private sector companies play in the development of our transit systems and our transit industry? Well, the company that I work for, AECOM, you know, does um, design, planning, uh, construction, um, and in, in, in cases now, they also do uh, integrated delivery. So they also offer the capital financing side as well as um, AECOM uh, own, uh, is the operator and maintainer of the Hudson Bergen line. So if you're doing everything. Yeah, so if you're looking at the whole DBFOM concept. Right. Um, Design, build, operate, finance, and? And maintain. Maintain, yes, okay, yeah. And maintain. Um, I'm working for a company that actually has that ability. It's a global company uh, with about 95,000 employees around the world. And in that market sector, there are companies like uh, Jacobs and Parsons and... Don't mention those names. Okay, yeah. Well, it's just looking at the whole big industry. I know, yeah. So these big, I just wanted to point out that these mm-hmm. big companies are really partners yes. with our transit agencies right. to help really develop brand new capital projects. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. that uh, in Baltimore and in Maryland, where I came from, we were building what's called the Purple Line, mm-hmm. which is a big light rail project. And we went through a big... Um, procurement process to put together a concessionaire, which had dozens of companies involved in it. And AECOM was involved in that one. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so these companies are critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, private, uh, private sector involvement really is critical for big capital improvements. Most transit agencies don't have the staff or the expertise to mm-hmm. do that themselves. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, there's a big role for women in that side of the business as well, I think. Uh, I know that a lot of the engineering type uh, staff that we had at the MTA with our consultants were... Uh, that's a great opportunity for them in the industry. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. Um, 
Talk to us about the role of the FTA. Uh, we haven't really talked about that on my show yet. What does the FTA do besides just give out money? Well, um, that is probably the largest program that FTA has been known for, the Capital Investment Grant Program, um, where they provide uh, the federal match for construction projects, and it's been up to 50%. But FTA also um, gives out discretionary grants and they give out formula grants. Uh, so formula grants, basically every transit agency is getting some formula funds and it's for rural as well as urban. Uh, so that's like the 5307 funds, yes, yes. which go to big mm -hmm. urban areas and yes. 5311. Yes. And, yeah. and as well as discretionary grants, um, bus and bus facilities, um, you know, uh, FTA is a reviewer in the Tiger Grant process, mm -hmm. um, in the Infra Grant process, and and was involved also um, when uh, Secretary Fox was doing Smart Cities and oh, right, uh, right. doing the reviews there. Uh, but then there's other, you know, uh, transit-oriented development grants that FTA is involved in and research grants. Um, uh, the mobility sandbox, right, uh, which is now you know leading to a lot of demonstration projects that are supporting um, mobility on demand and microtransit. <laughs> yes, well, I, we, those are awesome new innovations. So, um, in the uh, in that when you apply for those competitive, when oh. you, go ahead. You have something else you're going to say? And and the other really important area is safety oversight. Right. Right. We'll talk about that in just a minute. That's a big role. Okay. So, but in these competitive grants like Tiger Grants, so we got one in Baltimore when I was there mm -hmm. called North Avenue Rising, mm -hmm. and it was focused on. It was actually the Obama administration that gave it to us. It was mm -hmm. focused on um, the area where the uprisings were in Baltimore, mm -hmm. uh, and and making transit improvements there. But I've. I know that most people that get them seem like they have to hire like these insider groups, uh, you know, consultants or lawyers who can kind of work it. Do you need that if you're a transit agency or no. can you just win based on the substance of your proposal? You can win on the substance of your proposal. Okay. Uh, and I think there's a lot of key factors. Um, you need support, of course. You know, congressional support always okay. helps. Yes. So always. if you had your congressman or right. your senator behind it. Right, right. Getting okay. letters of support, that helps. But you have to have a project that is of significance in terms of uh, address you know, I guess whatever the current priorities of that administration is. Um, this past administration uh, focused on ladders of opportunity. Okay. And so, and so your your grant definitely addressed the issues around ladders of opportunity. You know. Uh, for connectivity uh, improvements, for for mobility improvements, and and especially, you know, focusing on on the urban core areas. <laughs> now, on the in the selection process for those grants, is that something that's done by the administrator of FTA along with like a, a group that studies it, or is that higher up? Does it have to go up to the secretary's office? Those kind of things. It uh, there is a senior management team that comes in with recommendations that reviews it with the secretary. So the secretary ends up making the final decision usually? Yes. Okay, very good. And is there is that is that budgeted in Congress's budget? Like this is how much you can yeah. use for these discretionary grants? Yeah. Um, so under MAP 21, which is the, uh, well, now I'm sorry, it's fast app. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But MAP 21, we're, we're, we're still all, I'm still right. talking about iced tea, you right. know? <laughs> so under fast, right. <laughs> under the fast act, um, mm. you know, there are, there are uh, you know, 
there are authorization uh, levels that have been put out for dif different programs, like Tiger, it was $500 million. Okay. And, uh, and then on an annual basis in the budget, uh, you know, the requests go in and then Congress appropriates it whenever they do a budget. Yeah, what is all this continuing resolution <laughs> stuff, you know? Actually, we should talk about that for a second. I know I've been working with APTA on a paper to address the importance of kind of steady, long-term federal funding and not just relying on these competitive grants, but also, uh, so talk about that and the importance of that, you think, now that especially you're in the private sector, isn't that critical to have those kind of loan guarantees and all that kind of stuff well, in place? Well, you know, one of the one of the critical issues that face um, transit agencies is stability of funding, and then there's a you know a a significant backlog, you know, uh, and you see agencies like WMATA that are are facing you know the lack of of, of dependable and reliable funding uh, stream, and then we look at Overall, there's about a $90 billion mm. backlog in state of good repair in this country, and it continues to grow because most transit agencies don't have sufficient funding anymore to do um, their state of good repair and operate on a daily basis. So, uh, so they really are just being pulled um, like taffy to try to deliver their services. Right. So these competitive grants, like you mentioned, they are focusing like on some new, brand new, cool service that you're going to do. We know a lot of politicians like to go to the ribbon cuttings. And I know some of it goes for infrastructure too. But the, these long-term uh, formula grants that are capital funded, they're the ones really that a lot of agencies use to fund yes. their state mm -hmm. of good repair. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it, it's, you know, as we were talking about Paul Wiedefeld, and it's not the sexy new service, but if, I'm telling you what, you'll make the headlines if you don't have the state of good repair, exactly, right? Exactly, right. Now, was, uh, was the MAP 21 requirements that require everyone to go out and kind of do this analysis of all their assets, was that done while you were in there? Uh, yeah, the transit asset management. Yeah, talk the, about that a little bit. That's very big in the country. Um, right now, um, there is a requirement from FTA that... Um, you know, the transit agencies do these transit asset management plans. And um, and there is a, a timeline that it has to be done by. And don't ask me now what yeah, it is. Yeah, right. Well, it's different, <laughs> right, I think, for yeah. different size agencies. Right, mm -hmm. right yeah. And uh, so that is addressing the whole uh, issue behind state of good repair. Because uh, you have to understand, you know, the state of your uh, assets. Um, what is the life cycle? and what is your replacement cycle and how are you going to prioritize those so i mean doing this whole inventory assessment and evaluation is supposed to lead you to um coming up with the priorities for your capital program and you know and being able to have basically the documentation for your decisions behind your capital program Right. I, I, when I was at Baltimore, the staff came to me and kind of briefed me on this. I normally don't like mandates from Washington, but I got to tell you, I was happy for this. It kind of forced us to evaluate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a physical evaluation where you actually go out and physically evaluate you know, your track, your buildings, mm -hmm. your buses, mm -hmm. your rail cars. It's a wonderful thing. And then does FTA use those your grading to kind of um, score and decide you know, what they're going to get you capital grants for making those improvements? I don't know if that level has okay. come in yet, but I gotcha. but, but what they want that the agencies to be cognizant of is the state of their assets and uh, 
at this time, I don't think it's been tied to FTA actually deciding who gets how much. Okay, I got yeah. you. Yeah, but mm -hmm. uh, but I know internally for us, it helped us prioritize what we're going to mm -hmm. do with our capital dollars. Yeah, and it's also um, not just driving your capital program. It also affects your safety of your system. That's right. And yeah. so let's use that as a segue to talk about the safety role of FTA. Uh, so FTA was given the responsibility for safety oversight under under MAP 21. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so right now, um, states are going through a process where they're getting certified uh, for their safety um, oversight program. So the state safety oversight agencies uh, over rail, you know, have to be. Um, their plans have to be in place, I think, by next year, by 2019. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so FTA actually had to step into the role of a state oversight agency in Washington, D.C., over Washington Metro because of the deficiency of the oversight agency that was multi-state. Yeah, the tri-state. Yeah, yeah, the tri-state. Yeah. And, uh, and and it was it was a lot of governance issues and in having having that. Right. Uh, you know, having the authority that yes. to kind of have teeth behind what right. they said. Yeah. Right. And so FTA took over that responsibility. And you were there when that happened? Yes. So did you get really involved with that? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> and God bless Congress, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so now that that is a kind of a new mandate for FTA. All these states have to pass this, or they, the transit agencies have to pass it, so there's some outside third-party agency that oversees the safety. Is that how it works? That agency is actually FTA, who is overseeing um, the state these safety. SSOs? Yes, mm -hmm. but then the SSOs in every state has to you know, be certified that they are not receiving funds from uh, the agency that they're overseeing. Ah. Yeah, because that's... <laughs> yeah, they don't want it, because they won't right. bite the hand that right. feeds them, right. so to speak. Right, yeah. And uh, so they have to have, you know, the financial... Okay, separate funding streams? Yes, uh -huh. final financial independence and... Uh, and be certified, you know, their programs have to be certified by FTA. Okay, yeah. all right. So is there a whole office set up at FTA now for that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So FTA does funding. Uh, they, they help fund new programs. They do safety oversight. What other kind of things does the Federal Transit Administration do? They do compliance uh, uh, reviews of, you know, um, procurement. Um, um, civil rights? Civil rights. Mm -hmm. um, compliance, civil rights, yeah. um, you know, when a major project is being done, a project management oversight uh, is done of the uh, construction program. And uh, so those are, I think, the main responsibilities. When I was uh, in Baltimore, we had a quarterly meetings with our FTA staff who come from Philadelphia, and we had mm -hmm. a regional administrator. So maybe you could describe for folks, again, I think this is kind of uncharted territory. A lot of people don't understand this unless they're at the C-suite level, that uh, FTA is broken up into regions and their regional administrators. Talk about that There's, structure. Yeah. Uh, FTA isn't really that large of an agency, uh, but there are 10 regional uh, offices around the country. And the regional administrators are the ones who basically have, you know, the direct interface and contact with the transit agencies. And they, they're assigned um, a number of states that they're responsible for. And uh, so there, there are 10 regions in the country. And uh, so those regional administrators report up to uh, headquarters in Washington, D.C. 
and uh, you know basically they're responsible responsible for for the compliance oversight and a grant management mm-hmm. um, of the FTA uh, assets and and uh, policies. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful actually way to have it set up because they're closer to what's really yeah. happening. Um, I know that when the team would come down, there would usually be seven or eight people from the FTA once a quarter, and we would have to explain to them every project that we're working on, the status of it. They would ask questions ahead of time at the meeting. I mean, it was real compliance. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. wasn't just like you know pencil uh, checking to push you know to say mm-hmm. okay, it's okay. So so that's that's great. You're maintaining the um, timeliness and the compliance of the projects. Yes, and also the. Um fiduciary responsibility for the dollars that are being, those are taxpayer dollars that are being spent. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Now, when you're in Washington uh, as the, you know, the top person in the country running uh, the Federal Trans Administration, is there a lot of politics involved or are you kind of sheltered from that and it handles at the secretary's office? or? No, you get contacted directly by uh, congressional members. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who are, uh, what do they say, fund my project, that yeah, kind of they're stuff? they're asking questions about Sometimes they're asking questions about um, the uh, regulations, uh, you know, new regulations coming out, or they're asking questions about the budget, or they're asking questions about the status of projects that are in the pipeline. And um, uh, do you uh, do you have like people from FTA that work the hill? So you have like yes. internal lobbyists yes. who stay on top of stuff that affects mm-hmm. you. Yeah. That's good. And how, how often did you meet with the secretary when you were there as the administrator? Was it like a weekly staff meeting or how does that work? I actually um, um, met with him periodically, but I met with a deputy secretary every week. Okay. So the deputy kind of, <laughs> mm-hmm. made, and did they do that with the Federal Railroad Administration and all those guys too, Federal Aviation, you think? No, FTA had a special oh. place oh. Because, <laughs> because of our... Because because of our uh, oversight of Washington Metro, and it was constantly in the headlines. I got gotcha. you. And there was interest all the way up to the White House about what was going on there. I'm sure there was. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, last last big question is uh, what which do you prefer? If you could say you have a preference, I mean, you spent a long time in the public sector doing jobs. Uh, what was your favorite job you had, and what's the difference between the public and the private sector now that you're in, in the private? Yeah. One uh, the uh, public sector. Um, you know, you have responsibility for delivering service on a daily basis, and that's your focus. Your, um, your customers are the focus, and your service, reliability, safety. Uh, on the private side, you have the profit. <laughs> right. You're profit-driven, and um, you know you you want to um, provide a good projects and deliver good projects and and do quality work for the client that is delivering the service. Right. Uh, but it is profit driven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you make a decision based on, you know, what you can earn. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've, I've used this analogy a couple times in speeches is that I think the best public sector managers uh, are using the, um, the head of the private sector, meaning all the latest technology and management tools, but have the heart of the public sector. Whereas you're not doing it for profit, you're doing it actually to help people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to, to have both sides of the fence, isn't it, to kind of learn both sides of that. Yes, I feel like I've done the full circle now. Yeah, you have. Yeah, come yeah. full circle, the circle yeah. of life. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, great. Is there, is there any other, um, uh, what's on the horizon for, uh, for Carolyn Flowers? What, what do you see coming for you for the next five to ten years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but um, you know, continuing the work uh, in a in a place that is uh, fulfilling me uh, and that I felt I have purpose. Um, and you know, for me, after working in the public sector, you know, very focused on the need for infrastructure. And uh, you know, being in a place where I'm still being able to contribute uh, to you know, serving the public and making sure that the public has you know quality service and uh, reliable service is really, I think, a, a, a driver for me. That's good. I, I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question because I always like to end up on trends, mm -hmm. transit trends, and all. So you've you've run the gamut as you mentioned and had a great career in transit and are still a big player in it. Um, are you optimistic about uh, public transit? Do you see the role of public transit changing to become more mobility based and pulling in private sector? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. What you see coming? Well, I I see um, and 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 that board is. Who is the chair of AFTA this year has made me uh, co-chair of the mobility. Oh, good. His uh, uh, a mobility initiative. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm looking at you know mobility as a service, and that um, the role of transit uh, providers will be more of aggregators. Um, yes, you still have the base, uh, your base service and your core, your core services there, but looking at what is um, changing in the market and looking at more and more of these transit network companies and other services, microtransit services coming in, um, what the customer is looking for is mobility and connectivity. Mm. And what can the transit agency provide? They can provide a way for them to complete that trip you know, in a seamless manner and so I do see a role uh, for transit agencies in the future as aggregators, and that you know they ensure that when when a customer comes in, they said I want I want to get from point A to point B, they give them the choices, the options, and one place to shop. <laughs> that's wonderful. I, I agree with you 100%. I was down in Dallas recently in Dart, and that's what they're working. They're working on the next app. It'll have 10 different services My on it. My co-chair is Gary Thomas. Oh, there you go. Well, Gary's right on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I think it's one of it. It's kind of this Helsinki, Finland yes. approach where yes. they have this app. Yeah. Uh, what I'm encouraging transit agencies to do is see if they can negotiate and not just people have to pay a la carte for each service, but even have a monthly subscription mm -hmm. where you could have a certain level of zip car, a certain mm -hmm. level of lift, mm -hmm. uh, number of trips. Do you see that coming for America, something like that? Uh, I think it's uh, a while off, but, okay. but, but the whole concept of an aggregator would would allow you to do that. Right, yeah. that's good. Very good. Well, it's great to get a view from the top. Somebody who's been to the top and see the future. And uh, thank you so much. I mean, you're really a legend in this business. I really appreciate you, oh, you, you. you being with us on this program and uh, wish you the very best in the future. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.